0: Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of School of Startups, where we talk to successful tech entrepreneurs on how to start and scale their businesses. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about how to manage uncertainty during a crisis with your startup, such as what's going on in the world today with the COVID-19 virus. Today, we have a, a very special guest with us. His name is Arvin Ja. Arvin is the director of and co-founder of Pariksha Labs, a software consulting and development company working with startups all over the world. Arvind is also the founder of Party Hai, a lead generation platform and marketplace for party services. He's also the founder of a cloud video startup, Movico, which is India's leading video asset management company. Arvind has also built and led large software R&D teams for major global players in the world in delivering leading products his specialty has been in conceptualizing innovative new products and building businesses from scratch he now mentors tech startups all over india and uh, finally i describe him as a startup evangelist advisor mentor and investor for over 10 tech companies including a notable exit from one company called signal so hopefully that was a good introduction welcome in arvind i am glad to have you on today's show and hopefully uh, you can give a better introduction than me just in a couple lines.
1: Hey, thanks, Akhil. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm so excited to talk to people in Mexico.
0: Yeah, no worries. So maybe if you could just tell us a little bit of kind of your background, uh, you know, how you got to where you are today, just so people know who you are.
1: Sure, thanks so much. So I spent about uh, 20 years uh, with uh, tech companies, uh, mostly US companies. I worked for Apple, I worked for Adobe, I worked for Polaroid and mostly I was on the engineering side. Uh, I became a director of engineering and built a lot of products that Adobe has, for example, Photoshop and PageMaker and and, FileMaker, Premiere and stuff like that. And then I got involved, always I was uh, interested in the business side of things, so I I thought maybe we should try some business development. I got involved with sales at uh, Adobe as Adobe was trying to take PDF platform into the enterprise. And I ran a little small sales team for about a year and that led to uh, starting my own companies, or own uh, moved to a founder role. And I set up MovieCore to try and build a, a video uh, asset management uh, on the cloud. Uh, it was a little early, uh, 2008 was a bad time to do startups anyway. Uh, but then uh, we had to pivot very quickly to more of a product outsourcing type of business, helping other companies build products. And we launched many products for uh, global customers in US, in Switzerland, in Australia. And I was always fascinated by marketing and digital marketing. And I got a chance, one of my friends uh, joined politics and I got a chance to go run a large political campaign and see if uh, some of the ideas around digital marketing, targeting, messaging could be applied to politics. So I spent some time looking at that. And then I came back to my first love, which is products. And uh, as kind of uh, would have it, a lot of action happening on product side, B2B SaaS in India. So I decided to be more of an investor and mentor, and work with companies and build up an ecosystem. And Now we have about 50 plus uh, companies in my cohort in Delhi area, which are doing all kinds of different SaaS. So that's a little background of where I am coming from.
0: Very cool. And what would you say is your take on the you know the current environment of the SaaS industry? You know, whether specifically in India or elsewhere in the world, where are we headed?
1: I'd- i think i think we are in a big bull run you know maybe a 10 year bull bull market for uh, saas especially b2b saas um, i have seen a lot of investments go into indian saas in the last year or so most of the big uh, vcs are now focused on saas as opposed to marketplaces because the cost of acquiring customers in the marketplaces and the, the profitability is so far away whereas in in saas the profitability seems much much more recent and much more near term Uh, I've also seen large companies uh, start to acquire small startups in India. So I think uh, even globally we've seen a lot of interest in uh, SaaS companies. And I think uh, now with this COVID situation, as as we see more adoption of cloud, and I see more adoption of collaboration and IT being the savior in many senses, uh, we will see much more of SaaS adoption, uh, both across large enterprises, as well as across uh, SMEs or small medium enterprises. I'm very bullish on SaaS and the ecosystem worldwide.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. I see it's just growing tremendously. I don't think there's a, there hasn't been a slowdown yet. Um, but I'm I'm kind of curious. You know, when we talk about you know the COVID nineteen virus, you know, I know you're 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 speaking with as an advisor with some of the startups in your portfolio. What's kind of the strategy or plan that you're you're? What are the conversations you're having? Um, you know, both let's say on a short term basis, on a medium mid term basis, and long term basis on how to kind of plan with the kind of uncertainty that's, that's, it's around us.
1: Yeah. i um, you know, we are all trying to figure out what's the right way to handle this. Uh, but what we did was, um, you know, we knew that the demand would fall down the curve or fall down the fall off the cliff very, very quickly. So we kind of did a little estimate of what are the segments or sectors where demand would really go near zero. Uh, and it has gone to near zero in many segments and therefore what should we do to help those customers? You know, maybe, Uh, delay our payments with them or maybe offer them more services so that they could remember us that we stood by them when they needed to. But there were a couple of other segments which were kind of going up. So uh, telecommunications, for example, was going up, Uh, web security was going up, anything to do with digital workflows and collaboration, work from home, that was going up. Uh, So I think the first thing we told all our uh, companies that we advise is uh, be very, very greedy with cash, hold cash. Uh, cash is going to be the oxygen. We don't know how long this is going to be. Uh, we don't know when the demand is going to come back. So let's figure out you know, everything that we can strip away in terms of unnecessary spends. Let's go very lean and mean on that. And then let's try to defer and delay as much as possible on the payment side because we are going to get hit on the collection side. And we've seen that now uh, three or four weeks now. India has been in lockdown for four weeks. Pretty much all the payments are getting delayed uh, or deferred or requests coming saying, can we do it later? so cash has been the most important thing and then of course you have to take care of uh, you know your employees and make sure that their concerns and their uncertainties are handled so over communicate with the employees uh, make them part of our uh, planning uh, many of the employees actually stepped up and said you know we are also home we are not going to spend a lot of discretionary spends so maybe we can take a salary cut and you know let's survive this phase out and that was very supportive of them uh, so we did something of that and then make sure that you know we were doing a lot of communication with our key customers, so that customers know knew that we would stand by them uh, in this hour of their need. I think if you show that empathy uh, across customer segment, across uh, employee segments, and across partners, then I think you have some good chance of surviving. But of course, you know, it depends so much on how much cash you have and what kind of leverage you have in the market. So still tough times, but yeah, those are the immediate things that we did. And then we have a a plan set up which is more of a short-term plan and a long-term plan, we think people are still reacting uh, to this uh, you know, disaster that has hit all of the globe. Um, but now I think as people have stabilized and they their four weeks or five weeks of lockdown, they have started to look at, okay, what next, how do we really rebuild, what are the options for us to rebuild, and uh, you know, we are reaching out to customers and saying, okay, as you think about your options, we are here to help you. So that that's the kind of approach that we've taken. We have trigger points set up, saying, "Okay, if this we hit this trigger point, then we go into another damage control mode." But we are also looking at, you know, what kind of new business opportunities, uh, you know, the new world will look like. So, where is a new collaboration? What's going to happen on the video conferencing side? What's going to happen on the cloud side? And try to see if we could, you know, predict or we could take advantage of the disruption uh, or the opportunity that is presenting itself.
0: So on, on that 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 note of the trigger points, so just trying to think of an exercise here for people who are you know looking to set up their own plan or maybe they already have their plan. What what is the would you say are like your main trigger points? Would you say is it you know revenue, um, churn? What what is like the, val- the the numbers you're looking at that you know if if A happens we do B, if A B C happens we do C, you know etc. What does kind of that look like?
1: Yeah, I think the first point was revenue. So we thought, look, uh, I think what will what is going to happen is new revenue uh, new customer acquisition is definitely going to drop so what kind of level it should drop and then what should we what are the impact analysis for us what should we do um, then there might be some churn delays so we we might expect some churn a higher churn and then of course some renewals will get delayed as well so you know all the revenue impact points we kind of put uh, multiple points saying if our overall revenue goes down 15 uh, percent or 20 percent or 30 percent or 40 percent, What are the different actions we would need to take to make sure that we are still healthy and we can still take care of the operating costs and expenses and not completely kill our balance sheets. And those are the things that we kind of worried about. And then as you do that financial planning, you have to see the impact on people. So how softly you can kind of do that and how transparently you can do that and how you can empathize with their needs as well and bring them into the decision process. So started with the top leadership and said, okay these are the trigger points and everybody bought into that. And I think it's, it's going off. Okay. So far.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting how you, you know, with, with everybody being affected in this moment and everybody feeling the pain, um, that people are starting to come together and they buy into kind of your, whatever kind of decision you make. And I feel like it's a lot easier to get that collective decision. I know for one of our companies, uh, you know, we are kind of on, you know, Hey, do we let go, you know, five people on the team? um, you know, who maybe you know, we might not need, and then, you know, maybe, or reduce their hours, or we brought up the idea of, you know, kind of doing a collective where everybody took kind of a, a pay cut and, you know, took the damage for, you know, uh, took a, a bullet for the team across every, across the board. And it seemed that everybody was leading. And that's what we ended up doing was everybody was on board for, you know, looking out for the greater good, uh, versus people losing their jobs. Right. So that was a uh, really nice to see. And I, and I'm glad that people are doing that. I don't know how you guys are seeing that, but it feels like that's kind of the emotion everybody's going through.
1: Same here. Same here. You know, I think adversity brings out this cohesion and unity. And I think the purpose for everybody is a shared purpose right now, which is to ride ride out this phase and ride out this storm somehow, and then see how do we go from there. So I think you know there there is uh, good uh, good um, interest or let's say enthusiasm of people to say, look, I'm part of making a decision. I know that these guys are also getting affected, but as long as they are being honest and transparent with me, I will accept that decision.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So it's all, yeah, it's what it is. Right. Being transparent and honest now in terms of challenges, like what are some of the main challenges you're currently seeing in the industry? Let's call it, you know, SAS in general. Um, you know, obviously a lot, you're very bullish, but what are some things that could kind of put a, a stake in that?
1: Uh, I would say there are, you know, I would, I, I think of it as two kind of different segments or two type, different balloons for challenges. You know, if you are selling to mostly uh, small and medium enterprises and the challenges of, um, discoverability you know making sure that you know you can get in front of them and uh, making sure that you know your churn rates are a little low making sure that you have a great onboarding experience so they can try it out quickly and get the value of the product in as quick a time as possible making sure that you know your communication with respect to onboarding emails is is correct and the product has got enough metering so you can analyze you know how they're using it what's the first experience looking like and you know whether they are they're happy or satisfied within a short period of use because the SMEs would like to kind of quickly see and test out and check out and say, hey, does this product meet my needs or not? With enterprises, it's more of of trying to find the right uh, customer and sometimes the right teams of customers who will buy. So it's mostly a collaborative buying process with them and and the sales cycle could be long. In India, we have some special kind of problems that uh, maybe Mexico is the same that, you know, most of the SMEs are not very IT savvy. So the IT adoption for SMEs is still, you know, very low 10%, 12% kind of range. They don't use a lot of cloud-based tools and uh, they're paying for that right now because now with the uh, uh, on-premise gone uh, offices being shut down, they have to scramble to kind of quickly get into workflows and collaboration. Uh, the other is it's a low cost economy. So you know the pricing has to be very, very low and the low pricing only works if you have a large volume, but we are still to reach those large volumes because of the challenges of adoption. So I think there's like interesting challenges. Uh, some people have done well. Uh, many people have shifted their focus to global markets uh, from India. But I somehow believe that the big market is in India for the Indian SaaS companies. So we all have to figure out and it's a, it's a learning process. Um, one of these days, you know, maybe some disruption like COVID will happen where everybody will start looking at, okay, now I definitely need a CRM. I definitely need an experience management. I definitely need an HR management. I need to make sure that all my business processes are online, so that you know we cannot be disrupted anymore. And once that happens, then we'll see a major adoption uh, of SaaS products in India for sure.
0: Okay, so it's more of a educational issue at this point, you would say, is just uh, you know getting the people you know to understand how it works, why they should adopt it, you know, and, and you know basically just living up to you know this is where the world is today, and you know this is where we should maybe move to the next step, and adding that kind of seed in their mind. That you know we should start looking at other solutions out there, right? Instead of sticking sure, to what sure. works I mean, in the past. Are, yeah,
1: there are challenges with uh, our founders as well. Many of the founders are tech founders. They don't know marketing well. They don't know how to communicate the story well. Um, they're uh, bootstrapped, so they have uh, limited resources in terms of being able to get out there and and market themselves. Uh, we don't have so many ecosystem platforms. You know, we are dominated by the IT outsourcing big boys, billion dollar companies. So they don't really think so much about small revenue of SaaS companies. Um, there's also a large e-commerce marketplace or digital consumer marketplace companies. They're also not, not really looking at, you know, small SaaS companies. So the voice of the smaller SaaS companies is not maybe be heard or not echoing at the right level. But I think in the last 15, 18 months, I've seen that trend change and people are now looking at SaaS in a pretty big way.
0: Okay. Now, so you speak, I know you work with a lot of like early stage, you know, seed stage, maybe early, uh, angel round, uh, companies and startups. Where do you suggest these founders to focus their their energy, their, their you know, like you said, they might be very tech focused um, to gain that initial traction. So either you're taking on an advisory, I know you work as a mentorship role or even as an investor role. What does that conversation look like for, for uh, you know, making sure they're focused in the right direction? Great question.
1: Uh, so I think, you know, our first focus is to try to validate the product market fit assumptions that they have,
0: you know, make sure that
1: they have, define an ideal customer profile that they can kind of articulate out. They can define the key value propositions or value market fit propositions for those customers. And then they can demonstrate that you know, even some of the early customers that they may have had are experiencing that value proposition. That you know They have either a good uh, marketing engine or a good sales engine in place so that this can be scaled up uh, over time. And if they don't have, then they have to you know, design certain experiments and learn certain experiments to figure out where the product market fit lies, where the market, you know, value market fit lies, and it could be a little adjacent or it could be completely orthogonal to where you started from. So, uh, depending on what stage we are in and what what are the targets that these early stage companies have, there was a large, uh, there was an enterprise level company that was doing competitive analysis for large companies, for example. And uh, there, the approach was completely different in terms of going and identifying a a group of people pretty much like an ABM type of uh, experiment to go and find initial customers and make sure that you educate them inform them do demos uh, work with them over a you know three five month period of time to go and get some early customer and then there are custom there are other you know smaller SME kind of uh, ten dollars or twelve dollars a month user kind of deals where it's just about seeing okay where is the velocity going to come from uh, is it is it going to be advertising driven is it going to be uh, mostly search driven? And then once the customer comes in, you know what kind of churn numbers you are seeing. What kind of you know what are the initial steps of adoption that the customer is doing? What is the depth uh, that the product exposure you know they can do within the first ten days? Where is that aha moment you know that we talk about saying okay if you cross that depth of product usage, then most likely you are going to be a long-term customer. So do the, a lot of those experiments, and um, I think you know the experiments really are about telling the story making sure the consumer uh, the content that people come up with is right uh, targeted to the right people and then there's enough metering or analytics that they're doing they're spending time on to figure out what's going to work and those are some of the things that we try with very early stage companies.
0: And how, how does that experiment change um, when you're, you're saying you know, where they should focus on operating when say like they have a tight budget meaning you know they're pre-investment versus you know post investment when they have money you know to fuel growth so you know you're bootstrapped you don't have money what are you focus on focusing on and how does the experiment looks like and then after you get some money how does that change right because i know mentally it changes your you know how you approach it as well
1: yeah great question again you know so if you have a tight budget then you can't make too many mistakes <laughs> you've got to make sure that you know you are uh, you are right more, more times than you're wrong so uh, one of the ways that you could do that is to look at more data and spend more time looking at the early data that comes in uh, look at your campaigns to see, you know, what keywords are working, who's responding, why they're responding, study the customer, talk to the customer to see what happened. You know, e- Even if you lose uh, signups or, or churn, customers churn, to be able to understand what went wrong, why they didn't uh, go ahead with the, the trials that they were going to go ahead with. The, the customers can teach you exactly where you're going wrong. And then uh, basically uh, leverage uh, whatever expertise you can leverage from other people who are also targeting the same customers. So you you know you have an ecosystem or a help help network that can tell you what to do uh, and then finally at the end of the day the founder has to make some calls and if you make some good calls then you know you are more successful if you make some bad calls then you are out of money <laughs> so you have to you have to worry about that as well so don't make too many mistakes I think once you got got the money and you know I think most of the people who are raising money in India early stage are raising small amounts of money um, between half a million dollars to two million dollars uh, is common uh, to see here. Uh, I think what we tell them is that you know instead of spending that money and going and hiring a good team, big team, and hiring salespeople right away, uh, first get to a point where there is a demonstratable sales engine in place. So if you can show that you know there is a pipeline that you are on top of, there is an ideal customer profile that you know very well, and that there is a salesperson on the team, actual salesperson on the team who knows how to sell, uh, then you know you should go out and figure out how to scale this out. If you have not done that, first, let's go and find that person. Rather than go and spend the money in big budget advertising or big budget campaigns, they may not work. Okay, so it's about making sure that you know you got the right um, flywheel in place before you kind of make the flywheel a little bigger, and then you have the right organization in place to be able to handle whatever inquiries are coming in. You know, you know, are you set up for customer success? Do you know that you know large customers will need a lot of support? Do you have the right team in place? So, you know, should you be spending more time? Hiring customer support people, or success people, or should you be spending more time going and building a larger sales team? Um, so some of those things then start to happen to kind of the mid stage, and I think you know once you cross that stage, then you are ready to really scale this out in a big way. Uh, look for partnerships. Look for uh, uh, international exposure, international expansion, and stuff like that.
0: Makes sense. Um, and I know he's speaking about sales. Like you know, you said a lot of the founders are more kind of uh, you know tech. Uh, Focus. that's kind of where their experience is you know obviously you don't maybe you don't expect them to do sales but that's probably the most important part at you know from the mvp stage to validate your business do you suggest they you know find a founder or a co-founder who who can complement them or you know just see if they can afford hiring kind of a, a you know full-time salesperson to to drive the sales that, for the initial sales anyways uh
1: so my preference is to kind of coach the founder and schedule the founder a little bit into taking on the sales cycle and say, look, if you now become a founder, you are a salesperson. So, you know, you are the best salesperson, you know, the, you have the idea, you have the product, you know, the product really well, you're know, you the person to go and talk about it. And the passion that you have for the product will come through when the customer is with you. So the customer will buy this product, not because the product is so well rated, but because he likes you. I mean, he likes your passion and he thinks that you can do something good for him. Uh, but you know, uh, some founders still don't get that. They're still reticent and they will not go out and comfortably their own skin. So if they have the money, then yeah, sure. Go and hire a good sales guy who's sold before to the same type of people that you are trying to sell to, who has a track record of having sold and who can complement your team. And if you can find that great, right? If you can't, then you will struggle.
0: Makes sense. And, and you know, previously you ran uh, enterprise level sp- sales, right? With Adobe. Um, can you share some of your experience or learnings of what, you know, how, what the success look like that for you and what was, you know, successful as a enterprise level sales.
1: Sure. Uh, it was a, it was a good experiment. You know, the, the hypothesis that I had at that point of time is like, basically, I heard that uh, our CEO had uh, gone to one of the large four consulting companies and they wanted a million dollars to, you know, basically run a pilot or a proof of concept before they tell us what to do or not. And I knew that uh, some of the largest uh, IT sourcing companies were in India and they were serving pretty much all our target markets, all the insurance, banking, financial services companies, uh, most of the Indian companies were targeting them. And they were hungry for uh, global exposure and moving into more high value added. So we kind of floated an idea. I floated an idea saying, look, let's use the Indian SIs as opposed to going through the top level hierarchy, because there you are insignificant there. For the SIs, you are still a big partner. Uh, and what, what turned out was that most of the SIs that we went to, they set up uh, 10 to 20 man you know uh, pilot or proof of concept or uh, centers of expertise at their money for us and suddenly we were able to scale out a lot many experiments lot many uh, prototypes lot many demos and we had access to a large number of customers through them so that became a really successful thing and i was one of the top salesmen within the one year of uh, moving from a pure engineering role into a sales guy, sales guy role it was very exciting for me to learn you know what the customers think about in Europe, in US, uh, in Australia and the uh, rest of the world. I loved it. Completely loved
0: yeah. it. Yeah, I know how strategic, how powerful strategic partnerships could be, right? I mean, you can try to knock on every single door, but, or you can find one massive kind of blue whale and they just open up the door for, for everything else.
1: Absolutely. If If one of the partners called, I would jump up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious now. Kind of switching gears on the uh, the investment side. So like at you know at Horizon Capital, we have very kind of strict you know you know metrics we look at. Uh, okay, this is you know the size of the business, is the churn. This is the type of business. We have our kind of investment thesis pretty well defined. I know with seed or you know angel round investment, it's a little bit trickier because it's more kind of an art, and you're you know looking at more maybe the long term or maybe just a few different variables that maybe we can't uh, consider as much. Uh, that's less concrete. Maybe you can share. You know, what's kind of your investment criteria? What do you look for in a in a winning startup in India to invest in?
1: Well, you know, let me first put a rain check. So uh, there's not too many winning startups yet. There's some bets right now, but uh, so because of my technology background, I'm still fascinated by something that is disruptive, uh, primarily, but I've also learned to calibrate that with an uh, realistic expectation of market. So. In India, if there is a startup which is doing something which is completely leading edge disruption, then building the market from India or, or capturing the market from India or a new segment is very, very, very hard. Okay, So what, what we look for is something that is disrupting existing markets and existing workflows and uh, basically allows the customer to shift from an existing cost or existing use case into a more efficient use case, uh, either through some smart integration or through some smart automation, or through some smart uh, technology solutions. So mobility could be a technology solution, or integration with two or three different products. RPA could be an interesting solution, or some kind of AI or OCR could be an interesting solution. So companies who come or startups who are trying to solve a problem where people are already spending money, and then they want to make sure that part of their uh, spends can come to these SaaS platforms or digital platforms. Uh, but which disrupts their existing paper-based workflows or offline workflows. Those are the things that I really get interested about. And then if I, you know, I, I really look at what is the potential size of the market. One of the things, lessons that I had learned very early on working for Adobe was that you know markets that uh, don't exist cannot be measured. Okay. So a lot of the time people will come and talk about new market, but there's no question of figuring out what the market size is. You could be as wrong or as right as anybody else but where there is an existing market where we know that you know there is a certain business that is spending so much money then i'm much more comfortable saying okay yes we could then shift over time this will shift online and then of course there is a team uh, there is the passion of the founder uh, is the founder is the founding team stable in their own kind of relationship do they have hard do they have easy um, ways of communicating hard questions sometimes the founding team is very comfortable when things are good but not so comfortable when things are not so good, okay? So do they have those, uh, I, re- I heard some level four questions or level four discussions amongst themselves? Do they take responsibility and stuff like that? So once I'm convinced that you know this looks okay, then yeah, I will make a small investment, but mostly spend a lot of my time trying to make sure that they can get the advantage of uh, my thinking and my experience and get, get into the early stage uh, prototype and go to a series A kind of round, bigger round.
0: Can can you share some examples of some maybe companies you've invested in or you've seen that that are kind of this that you as examples of what are disrupting a, a certain market? Uh,
1: sure. So one of the startups is in call management, uh, you know, cloud based IPR and uh, uh, self bootstrap. Like maybe six years now. Uh, now they have reached about three million dollars of revenue with about six thousand uh, users. Uh, very passionate uh, founders. Uh, very nice team. Execute really really well. Uh, and actually they're seeing a little headwind uh, with the current covid situation because work from home requires that but also seeing that you know some of the customers have, are having a, a revenue challenge and therefore uh, the revenue has a dip uh, from some some extent so i think that has been a really nice space um, i was working with a team that was doing uh, mortgage uh, property, property title search uh, kind of automation so in you know when you do a mortgage plan you need to see whether whether the uh, mortgage uh, property has a clear title and all the clearances the legal clearances the government clearances are all in place uh, there's no uh, legal kind of challenges or cases behind you you have to check into m- multiple places and they use data very very smartly uh, scrub data from many places and built a very nice system which allows uh, a bank or a mortgage provider to quickly go and underwrite a property mortgage so that looks very interesting uh, very large uh, opportunity there um, in these times you know there is uh, all the real estate has gone off the curve, so you know you can't visit any real estate property for selling. And um, one of the one of the startups I was working was was working with a, a 3D virtual walkthrough. But then they added a Zoom type of you know audio call to a 3D virtual walkthrough. So now property agents and buyers and sellers they can all be in the same room. They can all be talking to each other and seeing the 3D walkthrough together, pretty much like what we are doing on a Zoom call. So Zoom for real estate. That sounds very interesting to me. So we spent some, we invested a little bit into those people. Um, was an educational startup that was doing a peer to peer learning. and they now have close to four or 5 million uh, users on that platform. It looks very interesting. And now we have to monetize it and see how to monetize it.
0: Really cool. And kind of switching gears. What is the most reason, like, what was the, what's the most common reason you would turn down an offer to invest in a, in a startup company? So you, uh, what, what are you, why are you rejecting deals?
1: most common reason i have at least found is where uh, the founders have not really done a good research on the what the pain points of the customer are they haven't talked to many customers or they haven't really spoken to any customer for that matter it, it's more like my gut feel that this will work rather than you know uh, i went and talked to my customer and said hey if i work if i build this out uh, will you use it so uh, if customers you know, can give you early feedback then the products are more aligned uh, to the need of course, there will be people who help, who will be visionary in terms of you know where it would go to, but uh, that would be my most top reason for saying look you don't have enough customer data or customer insight into what you're doing. So let's go and do some, go talk to ten customers and let's let's see what they really need, uh, because finally at the end of the day the customer has to say yeah I need this. Uh, the other for other reason would be that you know a lot of the times in India many of the founders they come up with a feature rather than the product. So they will solve a little problem and yes it's a very smart solution to a problem but you have a hard time figuring out how and why it becomes a product you know to become a product then it must meet uh, the customer's expectation of integration with other products uh, workflow which can be used day in and day out it's a critical pain point or not so you know it's just that they've just thought of a trick or you know gizmo or or some kind of one one thought rather than I'm, i'm building a suite of workflows that will really mature into a product over time. So those are the top two reasons in my my experience.
0: Makes sense. And then within your existing portfolio of SaaS companies, I know you said it's still quite early in terms of your bets to see where they've gone, but uh, I'm assuming some have different levels of growth and success. You've had one exit. Are you able to pinpoint and share what differentiates the top performing companies from the others, whether it's is it the product? Is it the the market that they just kind of got lucky in? is it the team or something else I, I don't know if there's certain factors that you can kind of say a hey, like you know that you synthesize synthesize between different businesses that you can you know have that kind of formula of what would lead to a better company
1: i i would think of it two different ways i think the first is execution so the company that is is doing the best is executing brilliantly so they have a extremely efficient you know marketing machine setup automation to figure out and you know, metrics on every little stage of the product so they can go from a call a inquiry call to closure in three days time and very very efficiently set up for that and then you know passionately focused about customer success so just the execution machinery is very very nicely set up the other one which is doing well is because of the innovation power so this innovation power and they're dealing with not too much of competition in the you know what their their competition is paper-based for example. So by making this disruptive innovation, they're getting an advantage of everybody is interested in their product. Mm-hmm. So I think those two, either if you are in a very highly competitive space, then your execution needs to be top class, and if you are in a in a validated innovative space, then I think you're a little better off.
0: Got it. So if you would rank, it, so you know execution, your level of execution, how you know the the, the level of how you perform in ex- executing your your day to day. Two is like, you know, very focused on, uh, you know, customer support and what the customers are saying and trying to improve a better product. And then three, obviously, if you're in the right market, it just makes everything smooth, like you're you know right place, Absolutely. right time. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So hy- hypothetical kind of question here. Um, you have a thousand dollars. You are looking to, you know, build an MVP on a new startup. I don't know if you, you see this with your companies or, you know, who have come to you with very little money and starting bootstrapping their company. Where do you invest that thousand dollars? Uh, <laughs> probably how do you get the most out of that you know it's I, very limited I, right but it forces a kind of constraint yeah. to to think what I,
1: I would i would suggest or recommend that you know you spend 500 600 dollars from that budget and go and talk to 10 customers and say look if i build you this and maybe create a mock-up and say look if, if i build you this would you buy would you would you use it would it be useful to you would you pay for it? and if some people said yes you know we will pay for it then you kind of spend the rest of the money to quickly stitch together a, a working kind of MVP and show it to them and say, look, is this what you wanted to build? And if they say yes, and say, okay, can you give me some money? I'll go and build it out for you. So you, you use that thousand dollars to kind of get a customer to kind of pay you for what uh, the product might be.
0: Got it. so what would you build like a, a landing sense. page, a website, uh, and then, you know, maybe some, some tools to make some calls and lead generation, or is that what were you saying you're saying? Pro-
1: so some workflow critical workflow that kind of makes the makes the person that you know say look i will pay for that yeah this if you do that then i'll pay for that
0: and but the thing is what, what happens is people will say i'll pay for it but then when it comes to it are they, are they going to actually pull out their their credit card so how do you validate up to the point of they actually you know take out their card and pay for it
1: there you have to kind of trust who you're talking to and whether you have kind of a good relationship where you know you know that if you Demonstrated uh, whatever he has committed to or she has committed to, they will uh, keep their commitments. Sometimes it may happen that they may not, but that's okay. You know that they were ready to pay for that. So it's it's worthwhile. Uh,
0: so kind of just last question for, from my side. Uh, what are you most excited about or curious about at the moment? What are you working on? What's your plan? Uh, where are you focusing on, you know, 2020?
1: Uh, so 2020, of course, is a kind of a funny year, we need to first focus on survival. Um, so we're kind of all trying to survive and you know, we're all trying to be mentally agile and you know, not get not get sick mentally uh, from all these lockdowns and all the negative news that we're hearing all the time. But I think you know, as uh, the big trends that I see are, are cloud computing, people are moving to the cloud, uh, telecom, more and more telecom and conferencing, for example. Um, and then more and more collaboration happening and perhaps that will lead to a lot of digital marketing tools uh, required so as as more people come on board and they start to uh, fill back the revenue revenue kind of they start investing in more marketing so uh, you know some ideas around digital marketing i'm playing around with and say okay how could we how could we offer people a way to scale digital marketing without having to go through the top platforms and pay them a lot of money those are the things i would say i'm really excited about Uh, provided we find a good reasonable vaccine or a good reasonable medicine uh, to our current
0: problems uh, sure if the not way. then that then now becomes your 2021 or, or future plan right <laughs> exactly exactly yeah cool well th- thank you arvin so much for for joining us today that was i think super helpful uh to our audience a lot of good insights where can people learn more about you or, or get in touch with you if they have any more questions uh
1: thanks uh, thanks again nakeel you know we um you know um, usually they can go to my linkedin profile it's um, pretty savvy on linkedin respond pretty quickly and then i use twitter a lot uh, so they can follow me on twitter and uh, you know I'm, I'm pretty effective i can respond very quickly on twitter and see what's happening or not. but yeah between li- linkedin and twitter i spend most of my uh, digital time and you know, of course they can email me anytime as well
0: okay awesome so we'll put those uh, those links to your linkedin and twitter profile on the show notes so if anybody wants to get in touch with arvin uh, feel free to connect with him as well Absolutely, Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Arvind. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. Have a great day and stay safe.
0: Thank you all for joining us on today's episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment on iTunes or Spotify. If you'd like to learn more about entrepreneurship, make sure to check out our School of Startups videos on YouTube as well. Until then, see you guys on the next episode.